This week at my school, we, we talked about worship and what constitutes worship. And a group of pastors, or almost pastors, kids, kids that are learning to go into ministry, discussed how worship is not what happens on the stage, but it's the community and the family that comes together in love and worships together. So I thank everyone for coming today as we come together in worship. So let us pray. Dear Jesus, please let your spirit overflow this place. May your love shine through. May your word be heard. Open our ears, open our eyes, so that we may see you and hear you. Thank you for loving us. We love you so much. Amen. So I had a friend. Him and I were very, very, very close. Best friends, even. We would do everything together. Go get fast food, go grocery shopping, go to camp meetings, do ministry. We used to run Pathfinders. We were close, closer than close. We were best friends. I trusted him completely. I loved him completely. But then one day, my mom came into the room while I was doing homework or something like that. And she had a paper in her hand. This paper was a credit card statement of a credit card that was mine, but it was more for emergency use. So I didn't use it very often. And on this statement, it showed transactions over the last few months leading up to $2,000. A card I never used, it stayed in my wallet for emergencies. And so she asked me what happened. She had that, like, that understanding but still a concerned voice that only a mother can have. They still love you, but they're like, why did you do this? And I looked at those statements, and I was like, they look like mine, but I don't use this card. And I looked closer at the statements. Fast food, groceries, some random ones from San Diego. And I'm like, okay, maybe. But then I saw a few transactions that were places I've never been to 7-Eleven, a Chinese place, places I know I do not make those transactions. And that's when I realized my card was stolen. I checked my wallet, it wasn't there. And I, you know that feeling when someone steals from you? Like they have your property and you feel almost like you've been invaded and hurt almost? That's how I felt. I was mad and I was frustrated and I felt invaded. And I started obsessing over this. I poured over the documents over and over again, trying to figure out who would do this to me? Who would hurt me in such a way? Who would steal from me? And I kept analyzing and analyzing. I categorized the purchases. I figured out exactly where they lived, exactly what kind of car they had from the gas. And I 
obsessed and I obsessed for several months. I hate not knowing what happened. I hate not knowing what's going on. Until one day I looked closer at the San Diego transactions and I remembered. Me and my best friend went to a camp meeting in San Diego. And we were there for two days. In those two days, we went to two different grocery stores. And he was with me. And I remembered. He got transactions. He bought things when I wasn't around. And it clicked. My best friend, the one I was closest with, he knew everything about me. Everything. I trusted him. I loved him. I welcomed him into my home, into my family. And I realized that my best friend had betrayed me. The pain and the heartache set in. But I, I didn't want to completely accept it. So I asked him. I asked him if he had taken my credit card. And of course he rejected it and he said, no, I didn't do that. I love you. I care for you. I would never do that to you. I would never steal from you. But I got no explanation. And so then I kept asking, I kept asking. Every time he said, no, 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 I didn't do it. I wouldn't do that to you. And so one day I laid out the statements in front of him and I said, explain this. Because I do not want to believe that it was you. But I cannot find any other logical explanation. And he looked at the transactions and he started crying. And he said that I gave him the card to buy pop on your stuff, which was also another lie. Time and time again, he lied to me, never fully giving me the truth, just giving me little tidbits. That pain, that heartache, your best friend betraying you. These moments make books like 1 John kind of hard to read. Books that ask us to love our neighbor. So today we're going to dive into 1 John and try to understand what it's saying. So if you want to pull out your Bibles and look to 1 John with me, we'll be going through it together. Uh, 1 John is split up into three claims about who God is. And that, so first, first John also is a sermon format, which is a beautiful sermon about God and who he is and makes three main claims. And today we're going to kind of do the Cliff Notes version of First John. So I encourage you, though, to go home and to read through the whole book. It's a very short one, only a few chapters. But it is powerful and has so many great points that we just can't cover them today. So when everyone's at first John, I want you to look at verse 5. We have on the screen. First thing we have is that God is light. And first John chapter 1 verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
John has this very black and white understanding of the world. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. There's two options, no gray area. That's just the mindset that he had for this message. So this begs us to ask the question about what does it mean to be walking in darkness? So if we jump down to verse 9, it gives us the answer. To chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So the text is telling us that if you are walking in the light, if you are walking in the light of God, then darkness cannot withstand being in the light. And so if you are walking in the light, you will be transformed by the light, and you will see the world from God's eyes. You will see the world from the light of God. You'll see the world the way he sees the world. And the text tells us that God loves us. He loves his people. And so if you claim to be in the light, if you claim the sacred title of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, a follower of God, someone who is walking with God, then you won't be able to say that you hate your brother because you'll see them as a child of God, as a fellow child of God, which is hard. Because does that mean I have to love my brother that hurt me? Does that mean I have to love the brother that gave me a heartache, that betrayed my trust? And even harder, does that mean I have to love the people who are maybe not in the four walls of this church? People that make me uncomfortable? People who are not like us and maybe believe differently than us? Ooh, and even harder, does that mean that we have to love those in the church? Maybe those who have said things that have hurt us. Maybe those who have said things that are different than what we claim about life and about God, about religion. I don't know. That's really hard to do. Maybe not. Maybe not. That is the first one. So maybe we can get past that. It's a side note. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, Verse, chapter 2, verse 29 gives us our next claim about God. And it says, God is righteous. Verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Okay, I like that one. So if you're righteous, right? If you're righteous and you are born of God, you are reborn into the life and the family of God, and you will practice righteousness. So righteousness, it's not sinning. It's, that's, that's, yeah, that's hard, but, and the text does tell us that do not claim that you have never sinned, because we are human. We sin, we make mistakes, but we ask for forgiveness. We ask God to forgive us our sins, and we are born into his righteousness. We are born into his love and his light. So we are walking in his light, and we are born in his righteousness. Okay, that's good. I like that. We're good. Okay, awesome. Oh. Oh. Uh, The next section, the next section says to love one another. 
that whole section talks about how if you say you hate, if you hate your brother, he compares you to Cain, to the first murderer. He's saying that if you talk bad, or if you hate on someone, or if you're cutting them down, then you are a murderer, and that is a sin. So, if you are born in God's righteousness, if you are living your life asking for forgiveness every day and trying to not sin and become a better person through living with God and following God, then you will love your brother. Does that mean I have to love my brother that stole from me? Does that mean I have to love him even though he betrayed me? Does that mean that I have to love those that are not in this church that I don't agree with? Those who have other political beliefs than I do? Those who have other religious beliefs than I do? Those that are wrestling with life and who they should be and who God calls them to be? What about those in this church? Is God calling us to love those in this church even though they might teach things that are different than what I believe? Even though they have ministries that I don't agree with or they like music that I don't like? Is God calling us to like them, to love them? Okay, that's just the first two. Usually they will save the best for last, okay? So I think whatever this last one is, that's what we should go with. Sound good? Oh. Does anyone have those little headers on the sections? What does it say? For section, chapter 4, verse 7. Does anyone have those headers? What does it say? It should say God is... God's love. Mine says God is love. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then that section after, it talks about Jesus. It talks about how Jesus came and he walked this earth. And he gave us that example of love. Because Jesus loved those that hurt him. The Pharisees, they came after him constantly, trying to call him of the devil. Belzebub, I think his name they used. They tried to slip him up all the time. They tried to hurt him. But he still showed them love. And Jesus, he went to the outcast, to those that society and the church had labeled as sinners, those that people looked away from when they saw them. But he ran up to them, and he healed them, and he preached the gospel to them. He loved them. And he loved his own people, his own disciples, even though they were clueless at times, even though they argued about who was the greatest and what was more important, he still loved them. Chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us. And in his love is perfected in us. So if we, if we have God abiding in us, we have the love of God abiding in us, Christ in us, hope of glory, as Paul stated. If we have God abiding in us, we will love our neighbors. We will love those around us because God will be in us and he will be overflowing from us. Even when it is hard to love, he guides us and helps us love one another. So then, then, then this text is saying that we need to love those who've hurt us. And I'm not saying to stay in abusive situations, but maybe the best thing for this is for you to leave in a loving and caring way so that they can grow and become a better person. So, the, the, so God is calling for us to love even those who have betrayed us and those who have hurt us. God is calling for us to love those out there that maybe we have rejected and pushed away. Or maybe we, they make us uncomfortable, so we just want to look away and pretend they're not there. And God calls for us to love those in this church, his beloved people, even though we fight, even though we get in arguments. He calls for us to love each other. Three for three. Jesus came to this earth to love us, to show his love to us so that we could have a semblance of understanding of who God is. I love the song that we sung earlier. I was, I was going to ask if she could sing it, and she did by herself, and I was like, oh, yay! But I love the song, Reckless Love. Reckless love of God. Because even though we don't deserve it, even though we did nothing for it, even though we were his enemies at times, he loves us recklessly, without abandon. He does not give up on loving us. Because Jesus on that cross, Jesus on that cross loved Judas Iscariot. And Jesus on that cross loved the Pharisees that plotted to kill him. Jesus, on that cross, loved the Roman soldiers even as they were pinning nails into his hands and shoving a crown of thorns on his head. Jesus loved even that crowd that yelled, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus loved them all. And best of all, Jesus loves a sinner with dirty hands whose sins put him on that cross like me and like us. Jesus loves us recklessly for no reason of our own. We don't deserve it. But yet he still does. And he calls for us to love each other as well. Have you guys noticed the banners? I love these banners. They're the first thing I saw when I came here. And I was like, ooh, I like this church. <laughs> for God so loved the world, let us love one another. First John tells us that it starts with God. God loved us. That is the only way we know what love looks like. And then we can go and love one another. Because if you are walking in the lights, if you are following God, then darkness in you will dissipate. 
And that love of God will overconsume you and it will shine through the world because you will see our brothers and sisters, not for their flaws, but for who they are, children of God. And you will be born again into righteousness. And righteousness does not murder. Righteousness loves. You are born again in God's righteousness. You are born of him. And you strive to be more like Jesus. Then you will love your brother. And if you are living with God abiding within you, that love that is within you will overflow to the rest of the world. And you will see the world as they are, children of God. This last verse, chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You cannot claim that you love God and then cut down your brother or sister. You cannot claim that you love God and reject those around you. You cannot claim that you love God and then gossip about each other and be rude to one another. But if you claim that you love God, then you are walking in the light and you are born again in righteousness and you have God abiding in you and you will love each other as God loves us recklessly, without abandon. God calls for us to love one another just as he has loved. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus, as we go out of this place into your world, let them know that we are Christians because of our love, because you love your little children of every color, of every nationality, every political stance, every religion, you love them. So help us love one another as you love us. Thank you for the reckless love that you give us. We love you so much. Help us to love you. Amen. Amen.